can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, high five, pound your neighbor, hug your neighbor, hug your neighbor. Come on, hug him, hug him. Come on, hug him. Some of you aren't getting hugged. All right, lean forward. That's right. Ryan's sitting over here. But anybody hug Ryan? Somebody get over and hug Ryan. I'm not going to preach till you get, get over and hug Ryan. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody, God bless. Somebody hug that boy over there. If you would take a minute, you stand up and just share. Sister. Sounds like a better sermon going than what I'm fixing to share. Awesome, awesome. God so much wants our relationship to deepen with him. Do you understand what I mean by that? He wants you to sense things like this. He wants you to feel him so deeply. You know, people will come to church, they'll go to Sunday school, they'll hear a message, and they'll say, you know... I'm getting nothing out of that. Well, it could be the deliverer. There's no doubt about that. It could be the content of the delivery. There's no doubt about that. But I believe, by and large, a lot of it is based on our willingness to receive. Are you with me? Because if we go anticipating, expecting, I'll guarantee you God will show up. God will show up. Russell and I went to the preaching teaching convention uh, at the end of February. It was a wonderful time for he and myself. I, I just love spending time with him. And uh, with our schedules, the way they are, sometimes we don't get but just a brief meeting. So it was awesome to just sit and to uh, share with him and to listen to good preaching. Our main reason to go was to hear A.J. Law, who was sick and couldn't come. So I thought, well, it's a wasted week. <laughs> Oh, my goodness, was I wrong. God showed up. He spoke through two guys from the Abilene Christian University, both of them professors there. And I will never forget those messages because they were so profound. I learned two Hebrew words that I had not learned prior to this one message. He said that in the Bible, those that are outside of God are described with the Hebrew word onawim. Onawim means worthless. And that's the word that Satan uses to accuse us. We're worthless. We're onawim. 
He said, but he goes on in that same section of Scripture, and then he describes the Hebrew word Am Segulah. Am Segulah means we are God's choicest possession. Am Segulah. He said, I am a professor of theology, and one of my students came and wanted to know how that's spelled because he wanted it tattooed on his arm. He said, I don't know about tattoos. He said, but I do know this, that that young man, sometime in his future, when he's in the ministry and he's being beat down by the evil one, he's going to look down at his arm and say, Am Segula. Am Segula. And that leads me right into what I want to say to you today. Out of Job chapter 30, chapter 40, chapter 42. So kind of get your finger at all of those. <laughs> A different outline than you're normally used to, because I want you to hear me today. Andrea Gale, to understand why the Andrea Gale sank, you only need to understand and search the clues that were happening along the eastern seaboard shoreline, called the Halloween Storm because of the late October fury that it was building, as far south as North Carolina, winds of 35 to 45 miles an hour lashing for consecutive days against the coast. Waves of 10 to 30 feet pounded the beach. In Rhode Island, a fisherman swept off the rocks by the heavy surf and killed. In New York, another man fishing from a bridge, lost his life, either being blown off the bridge by the wind or swept away by the waves. The New England coastline hammered, hammered so soundly, even a few of the lighthouses were damaged. Winds hovering around 65 to 75 miles an hour. Utility poles, trees, piers, seawalls, boardwalks disappeared. Thousands of lobster traps destroyed. Flooding extensive, invading homes, closing roads and airports. And at sea, it was worse. At 80 degrees, the water of the Atlantic that week, that fall week of 1991, was still very warm, almost tropical. But the seasons had changed in New England and a cold front from Canada raced across that northeastern corner of our country. And at the same time, a hurricane was forming in that warm ocean water, moving toward the collision with that cold front and what would be described then as the perfect storm. The Andrea Gale had a few uh, crew on of six and a small, it was a small fishing vessel and, and it was caught square in the crosshairs of those colliding storms. Sustained winds of 60 knots and sea swells of 39 feet were recorded. There was a movie that, was, that made that story come to life, and that's where we coined the phrase, the perfect storm. It painted a graphic picture of this crew caught in the middle of overwhelming difficulty, pressed on every side by these colliding weather patterns. That fishing vessel went down sometime after midnight on October 28th. And the search and rescue satellite-aided tracking system washed ashore a week later. 
And strangely enough, the tracking device was powered off. Could have been an accident. Or it was a case of a storm so overwhelming, so devastating, that the captain just simply turned the device off, which would be a gesture at how devastating this worst storm he had ever seen. And if that were the case, Job would understand. His story is so painful. His name has been linked to suffering itself. To have a Job-like season in your life is to suggest that the worst of suffering is underway. His perfect storm involved grief beyond description, physical pain that defied understanding, a spiritual pain that might have been the worst of all. For Job, for Job, he came to understand, even as a hard rain began to pelt him that the God who could have prevented the suffering had chosen to allow it. The God who should have noticed his faithfulness and indeed did had decided to reward his faith with torture. Job's friends only added to his misery and his loving, grateful wife (laughs) didn't help at all either. The skies above him turned dark. A thunderstorm blew in around him. Job connected the dots between the stormy weather and his very set of difficult circumstances. It was that perfect storm of emotional, physical, and spiritual pain descending upon a man. Job's transcript of that storm starts in chapter 30. Pick it up at verse 15. Terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. And now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In His great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about. In the storm. Underline that in your Bible. You toss me about in the storm. If you've ever known disease, you've known that storm. If you've ever known heart piercing grief, you've known that storm. If you've ever been betrayed, forsaken, cheated, or hurt, you've known that storm. For the God in heaven, the very one the Bible tells us, controls all things. And at the same time, the God who has promised to love you always, this same God allowed it to happen. You toss me about in the storm, Job says. And as the storm rolled in, Job never moved. With the rain coming down, he sat in that clumpy, wet mass of dust and ashes, his sores still oozing and running. His heart still broken. The friends stayed too. They must have been anxious. Because unlike Job, they still wanted to live. And unlike Job, they did not know what it was like to have multiple problems crashing in on them all the time. Know anybody like that? One after another, after another, after another, after another. 
God, we're told, will not allow things to happen beyond what we're able to stand up with them. There are days when you're on the edge fixing to fall over and you feel like he's pushing. (laughs) The more stormy the weather, the more Job related. He was living out the worst days of his life, dealing with a perfect storm of physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. But right there, right there, in the midst of the storm, some of life's most important lessons became apparent to Job. Let me give you three of them. Number one, a perfect storm of suffering may overwhelm you. Job's perfect storm. In an amazingly brief period of time, enemies had attacked, his financial portfolio had been sacked, and worst of all, his children had been killed. His own health deteriorated to the point that he wanted to die. And yet he couldn't die. And through the worst of it, his friends arrived and they announced the entire thing had been Job's own fault. Confess your sin, they said. Perhaps God will relinquish his attack against you. We know God to be fair and just and right. No matter how much you protest your innocence, Job, God simply cannot be wrong. Come now, what did you do to deserve this? Heard that one in your life. What did you do? You must be a bad boy or girl. It was a perfect storm that sank Job to the depths of discouragement and depression. Surely as the Andrea Gale sank to the bottom of the North Atlantic, you've seen it. When funerals start arriving for a family, they seem to come in bunches, don't they? A family that didn't even know where the community funeral home was suddenly now knows the back halls and the hidden rooms and the price of coffins and the way to organize a memorial service. And after a rash of funerals, it just numbs them. And at times, the survivors wonder which one of them will be next. Or what of the health issues? A person who has known only the best of health slams into a troubling symptom like a truck hitting you on the freeway. And as the problems pile up, they bring tests and surgeries and treatments and expensive medical bills and Certainly thoughts of giving up. Financial pressures. They can do that to a person or to a family. And boy, are we not seeing that in our culture today. A job is lost. Bills are missed. Debts pile up. A car or a refrigerator decides not to work anymore. Just when the money's running out. And when the storm of financial worry builds to that peak, changes are made. Attorneys consulted, letters written, phone calls avoided. It's the kind of situation that only needs one more element before that perfect storm sinks that entire family in a wave of crushing financial pressure. If in the midst of one kind of trouble another one develops, it can be absolutely overwhelming. If I were an executive for AIG... I would have left the country last week with my money in my pocket. 
I'm so grateful for a leader of the organization who gets paid $1 a year. He volunteered for the job, by the way. Was he annihilated? Does he feel that perfect storm in his life? I don't know if he's a believer, but I sure want him to be. The Bible gives us some good examples. David, he sang the, he, he sang the song of helplessness in Psalm 13 when it begins, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Joseph, he had a string of crushing disappointments, sold by his brothers, betrayed by his employer's wife, stuck in a prison cell. He didn't deserve that. He must have been overwhelmed with dis- discouragement, but uh, we know that he persevered. How about the Apostle Paul? He was at a low time during one of his letter-writing sessions in 2 Timothy 4.11. He had talked about how one man had deserted him, and only Luke is with me, he says. Only Luke is with me. He'd been beaten, chased, arrested, scourged, caned, imprisoned, denied justice, and eventually shipwrecked. And though Paul, though Paul had a tremendous attitude and faith, he knew real pain. And that kind of pain can overwhelm a person, even if only for a season. A perfect storm of problems overwhelmed the greatest individuals in the Bible, including Job. We shouldn't be surprised if we're overwhelmed by them when they come at us. A perfect storm might overwhelm you. Secondly, a perfect storm might drive you away from God. Job was a great, great man of faith. He hadn't just gone through all the right motions. He had the right heart to go with those actions. He had been faithful. He had been the subject of of a conversation in heaven. We read it earlier. Here it is again. Job 1.8. Have you considered my servant Job? God asked Satan. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. God's bragging on him. Bragging on him. Isn't that exciting? He's bragging on him to Satan. Satan's at this committee meeting in heaven. What's that all about? But he got cast out of heaven. See, God trusts us enough that we love him enough that we'll stand the test of time. We'll stand those storms. And after that storm battered Job long enough, he had some serious questions about God and the combination of pain, of heartache, and of unending agony shattered his impression of God that he had always known. No matter how long Job tried to keep a good impression of his God, if God was in control of everything, why had God allowed such suffering? If God was going to notice the faithfulness of one of his humans that he created, why would God reward that faithfulness with such pain? Perhaps you understand what I'm saying in your own life. Pain is an incredibly powerful tool of teaching. His name is El Zadin Abu Al-Aish, 55-year-old doctor, known to both Palestinians and Israelis because of his sufferings. He's now known to the entire world. El Zadin's wife had died from cancer recently. They had raised eight children, made a remarkable impact upon all of Israel. Abu Al-Aish speaks fluent Hebrew and practices medicine 
on both Israelis and Palestinians. Armed only with a joyful spirit, he became popular, a national celebrity because of his regular appearances on Israel's news television programs. And he worked on a number of peace projects. He became one of the most loved men in the entire country. In January, Israel went to war against the Hamas terrorists. Abu el-Aish and his family became trapped in their home. Eighteen members of his family were taking cover there. And every day, news anchors from Israel's Channel 10 called their friend to get first-hand reports of the fighting inside Gaza. On January 20th, the call from Channel 10 took a horrible, unexpected turn. According to some reports, there was a sniper firing on the Israeli troops from the top of Abu al-Aish's home. Other reports dispute that charge, and what isn't disputed is the fact that an Israeli tank shell landed on the doctor's home, killing three of his daughters and and a 14-year-old niece. Two other daughters were injured. El-Zadin himself had been hurt. But what struck at the heart of this matter was the father's broken heart. He sobbed in the phone, and his cries were carried throughout the entire nation. Oh, God, oh, my God, my daughters have been killed. The father cries into the phone. They've killed my children. Could somebody please come to us? Sitting at the news desk for one of Israel's main evening news broadcasts, the anchor held his phone up. And I want you to put all your phones away, by the way. If you've got a phone out, put the phone away. Church is not the time for you to have your phone out sending text messages to anybody. Put your phone away. Put it away. Put it away. This was a time when a phone became very important. For three minutes and 26 seconds, Abu el-Aish's wailing was broadcast across the country. The anchor fought back his tears, stunned by the grief that gripped El-Zadin. The shocked news team began to scramble They called for aid, for ambulances to come and take this man and his family to safety. The 22-day war, the Israeli army allowed a Palestinian, for the first time they allowed a Palestinian ambulance to go directly to the border crossing where the family was transferred to Israel, Israeli ambulances, and then to a medical helicopter. The news that entire day and the next gave constant updates on this physician's situation and replayed His anguished phone call over and over and over. The grief so profound, so deep, it changed the mood of an entire nation. The very next day, Israel withdrew from battle. In this modern day, Job living in their midst, he had been a face of great grief, a connection point that they had not wanted it's one thing to support a war when your enemies are faceless but and they're terrorists, but when the enemy's a friend, it changes everything. Did it have an impact on the war? Well, perhaps not, but it is interesting that the very next day the war ended. After the funerals, Abu el-Aish demanded answers, and he said, I'll be proud that my children were the symbol of this war and their blood wasn't futile. When the pain is severe enough or shocking enough, enormous change 
can take place. A war can stop in the Middle East and faith can be lost in any country with any individual. Foundational beliefs can be shaken. Prejudice can crumble. Thoughts of God can take turns never before thought possible. Job's very public grieving led to that kind of change in him. He demanded a hearing with God. Job reviewed his life. His efforts at avoiding sin. His attempts to worship the very God who seemed to be bent on his destruction. Job's suffering took him to the very edge of rejecting the God he had always served and always loved. If you ever run into the perfect storm of pain and suffering, it may take you to the same place. Thankfully, for those who endure the suffering, there is hope even at that point. The perfect storm might overwhelm you. It might drive you away from God. And then thirdly, God is most clearly revealed in the worst moments of our suffering. Sometimes, life's most difficult circumstances lead to life's most enlightening moments. It was certainly that way for Job. In the very storm that had nearly devastated him, Job met God. The meeting didn't go exactly the way Job had thought it would. God spoke to Job directly, challenged him to answer questions and stop asking so many of his own. We pick up the dialogue in chapter 40 at verse 1. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can you voice, can your voice thunder like His? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. God got in His face and let Him have it. Well, I don't don't, don't want to be around a God like that. You are. There's going to be a day, folks. Oh, sin might be running rampant right now. Oh, yeah, we live like this, don't we? I don't care if you're a teenager, you're an adult. it, It doesn't matter. Because we live like this. Okay, okay, I can do what the world says. I need to be Jesus, person. Uh huh, I like it over here, though. Oh, no. I need to come back over here. Oh, no, but I like it over here. Uh, The book of Revelation describes that person. Tell me what phrase Jesus uses that describes that person. Hello? Lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. And Jesus said, that's the kind of person that I'm going to build the kingdom on. That lukewarm person who just loves to play with what the world has to offer. But boy, will run over here and look like Casey Christian when I need him. But boy, most of the time, they're over here just having fun because the world says it's fun. How? And then we get a little twinge of guilt and conscience. And And God says, I love you and I forgive you. 
And then what do we do? You got it? Yeah, that's the kind. Isn't that, what, isn't that what Jesus said in Revelation? That the lukewarm person, he's going to build his kingdom with them, isn't he? Oh, oh, he didn't say that? What did he say? Oh, oh! now that's offensive now. He's going to spit me out of his mouth? You ever tasted something terribly bad? What would you do? Go ahead and swallow it? No. Yeah. You ever grab milk and thought, I'm just going to drink out of the carton today? Only to have it kind of roll out into your mouth? Yeah. Oh, you went ahead and drank it and swallowed it on down, didn't you? It's out of there. Yeah. Thank God for me, that's how beer tasted. Tasted like curdled milk. I, I mean, I, I just never developed a taste for it. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Maybe that hadn't been the case for you. I don't know what it is with you. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with. But I do know one thing. If you want to stand there and start talking to God, you better get ready to listen. And Job, Job began to answer him after this discourse. Look in chapter 42. Let's pick up at verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of these things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen not and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard... Uh, had, has heard of you, but not my eye. Now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What happens in our lives is we get to that point and we turn back to God and we find the peace that passes understanding. We find the burdens lifted at Calvary only to run back to the dog's vomit on the ground. Why? Why? You see, I would love to just hammer these teenagers about the way they live. But I gotta hammer you adults first. Because you're the one showing them how to do this. You see what I'm saying? When I was a youth pastor for 14 years, my biggest obstacle in all of my youth ministry was not the kids, it was the parents of the kids. Because those parents would never believe I was they would always come to me. Hey, if you hear anything about my kid, please let me know. Well, I was stupid enough to go tell them. I did. This one kid was smoking dope in his room. You could smell it down the block. We had a summer intern stay at the house. Came and told me what was going on. I went and told the mom and dad. They left the church. They left the church. Well, not my son, not my son. He locks his door. She would knock on the door, honey. Are you smoking in there? <laughs> and he would say, No, Mom, I'm not. And she would go, Okay, honey. And then accuse me of lying about her son. You think I went back and told any parents? Forget it. Forget it. Kid's going to go to hell in a handbasket, man. <laughs> I'll do my best at church to try to get them turned around, but I only get a couple hours a week out of them. I can't. You, are you with me yet? But see, that's what's wrong with the adults too, is because I've only got just a short time with you, and you're still living in the world because you don't want a kid out. You want to be over here, but you got to run back over here, and then you got to run back over here, and you run back over here. You're wore out. 
want you to stay on one side or the other. Stay on one side or the other. When people face life-threatening moments, planned or unplanned, they often seem to come face-to-face with ultimate truth. Life is short, eternity is long, and God is in charge. Financial hurricanes. See, it's not just medical or physical. Emergencies, financial hurricanes can sweep us away. It's the story of two people. The story of two people. One is Ted Turner. He's in his 70s, but he's still in the news. <laughs> a net worth estimated around $2.3 billion. <laughs> Maybe a little less now. Turner has made an impact on cable television, news reporting, and Major League Baseball. He, was given, he has given $1 billion to United Nations causes and was once married to Jane Fonda. And through it all, Ted Turner was never boring. Outspoken at every turn, Turner's few missteps have included harsh statements about Christianity. In 1990, he said this, Christianity is a religion for losers. On another occasion, he joked that the Pope should step on a landmine. He once asked some of his CNN employees who were wearing ashes on their forehead on Ash Wednesday... What are you, a bunch of Jesus freaks? Ted Turner even blamed his divorce from Jane Fonda on her decision to become a practicing Christian. And the interesting part about that is that Ted Turner grew up in a Christian home. And at the age of 17, had planned on being a missionary. He told Michael Eisner, I was very religious when I was young. I was a born-again Christian. In fact, I was born again seven times during once and once by the Billy Graham crusade. I mean, I know it inside and out. I didn't know you got saved seven times. I thought if you got saved once, you got saved. But for some, I guess it takes a little more, doesn't it? But Turner lost his faith when he watched his sister die from a rare form of lupus at the age of 20. And for five years... Ted Turner said, I prayed 30 minutes every day for God to save her, and he didn't. A kind and loving God would, wouldn't let my sister suffer so much. And I said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. That suffering separated, let, Ted, Ted Turner let that suffering separate him from God. And now there's the other person I want you to consider. Her name was Amy Carmichael. She too due to the disappointment of unanswered prayer. It may sound silly to know that as a child she had prayed for her eye color to change, but she desperately prayed that her eyes would change from brown to blue. Many people in her native England had blue eyes, and Amy wanted those. The color, however, stayed the same, but Amy didn't turn away from God. In fact, she followed Him more closely she became one of the most famous missionaries in history, moving to India, where she remained for the rest of her life. And there, surrounded by Indians, she noticed that the entire nation there had brown eyes. Her, her eyes, as it turned out, were a gift to her from God. And one other thing that was a gift from God, it was a painful nerve condition and a bad fall that left her bedridden for most of her final 20 years of her life. But even then, Amy Carmichael saw her suffering as a gift from God. 
She simply said, a wise master never wastes his servant's time. Carmichael wrote most of her 46 books from that bed. Books that have inspired generations of believers, including a host of other missionaries. It was Amy Carmichael's life and writings that proved to be the major inspiration for a couple named Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Two more voices that changed the world for Christ, partly because of their suffering. And through some such influence, Amy Carmichael saw her suffering turn into pure joy. Truth is, the storms are coming. They come for all of us. Whether you accept that as a part of your life like Amy Carmichael did or whether you reject God because of the same suffering as Ted Turner did. Job's message? Look squarely and honestly into the center of the dark clouds and the raging storm for it is there you will find that God has kept His promise to never leave you, never forsake you, and never stop using you for His glory. Father, I ask You this morning to move among us. God, there's some of us in this room that really need to open our hearts to you in a very real and powerful way. There's some in this room that have been straying. There's some in this room that are playing on both sides of the fence. There's some in this room. See, see God, we, 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 tend to, we tend to look at young people and we just give them such a hard time because they're just trying to live life. I mean, they're just trying to understand what life's all about. And, and they see the adults around them acting like fools and so they think they can Oh, God, would you give them an extra measure of your blessing in their life? Your forgiveness is available in an instant. Your redemption is available in an instant. Your mercy is available in an instant. But, God, we need you. We need you today to poke us, to prod us, to prick us and if we need to cry let's cry let's cry tears of repentance because we've strayed from you there's somebody here that needs to make a decision God of any kind but they do it if they just need to come and fall on their knees to the cross may they have the courage to do it in Jesus name amen let's stand and sing great song